0: may the force be with you this is gonna be a physical SEC football game and and that's what it was but just so happy for our fans and so ap- so so happy for our players um, on the muff punt obviously a really close call that was overturned I mean what what was what was
1: said to you on, yeah on I, I don't
0: night? know I mean it's that he touched it.
1: We did not come here to lose by seven. We came here to win the game, and I think you could see that by the way that we played. We just ran into a team that was seven points better than us tonight. And it'd be hard to look at the Arkansas Razorbacks and not be proud of the effort and the resiliency that we showed tonight and the physicality. Uh, he's, I think he's gotten better and better. He's, I mean, here's a bug. He's had the ability to do it in practice.
2: Ooh. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host Mike Bren. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And look who decided to show (laughs) up, Cozy Shane, a Tennessee Homer. What are you up to, brother? (laughs)
1: whoa we're mixing things up today huh been so long we forgot
2: the intro (laughs) hey buddy what's going on oh man we've been busy over here doing interviews left and right we got two more for the show we got nathan king from auburn undercover gonna go on a deep dive here all the news and uh revelations there on the plane so looking forward to that we got steven Lazen of athlon Mm -hmm. sports he's going to give us insight into every single sec bowl opponent and man just getting geared up and ready for christmas how about you brother
1: Oh my gosh. Ain't that the truth, man? It's just, this is, I saw a meme the other day and it said, we went from December 1st to December 21st in two days. And I I swear, man, (laughs) that's what it feels like, man. It feels like we are in the fast lane at warp speed and Christmas is almost here. Clearly not ready, man. I got Amazon coming to my house every day. I I like I got the UPS. I like that. I can tell if it's a UPS truck or FedEx truck just by listening. Like, that's just how many people are coming to my house. I'm watching my bank account just go down, down, down. I need to make some money off my gambling here. So, uh, but hey, I'll tell you. It's bowl season. I absolutely freaking love it. I'm, I'm watching teams I would never care about. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And, and it's just, it's it's fantastic putting money on teams. I'm just, <laughs> I put one on, I was like, man, you know, I like these guys' jerseys, you know? <laughs> or I'll see the running back. I'll be like, golly, this kid can run. Why is he not in the SEC? So that's, that's how I'm making my picks right now. And it seems to be
2: working. So, uh, but other than that, Mike, I'm doing well. How about you and yours? Oh, man, we're doing well here. I got your brother, the flying Hawaiian, in town. So uh, needless to say, I've had a couple drinks. Hopefully we can manage Mm -hmm. to get through this. But thankfully, recorded those interviews before the brews started going. And man, (laughs) you talk about bowl season, we got some SEC action here. It kicks off on Wednesday with the Armed Forces Bowl, Missouri and Army. We're going to get to those picks in just a moment. But we got to get to our interviews first. And let's just start off here, Shane, with Nathan King of Auburn Undercover. Like I said, so much going on there on the Plains. Bo Nix has already left to Oregon. Tank Bigsby, we thought he was going to leave. Now Mm -hmm. he's there. Change at offensive coordinator. Signing day. I mean, so much news and notes. (laughs) We tackled all that with Nathan King. So let's kick it over to our interview. A really outstanding job here by Nathan. All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by Nathan King, who does an outstanding job covering the Auburn Tigers for 24-7 sports. He's the host of the Auburn Undercover Podcast, my go-to podcast to get all the info on the Auburn sports programs. And you gotta give him a follow at NathanKing247. Nathan, thanks again for joining the show. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I appreciate y'all having me on. Merry
2: Christmas. Yeah, same to you, brother, and Man, this is a perfect time to get you on because it just seems like every couple of days here, there's a bomb dropped uh, there with the Auburn Tigers football program. And and I think obviously the biggest one, Bo Nick's decision to leave the program. And of course, we know now he's going up to Oregon, going to follow Kenny Dillingham up there, who was just named offensive coordinator. And just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And, you know, such a um, a, a legacy player there for Auburn. What do you think uh, made him make that decision to leave? Was it, you know, not wanting to play for his fourth offensive coordinator in four years? Was it maybe he didn't want to play for Brian Harson? What's your read on that situation?
0: Yeah, it's funny. You know, everyone was saying, well, he's going to play for four offensive coordinators regardless of where <laughs> he goes. And uh, Sykes ended up uh, ended up being one of the, I guess, one of the only possible situations he could have done um, where that's not the case. I mean, I think the injury changed uh, the trajectory um, of Bo's career path just a little bit because I think he might have had designs on uh, you know, possibly entering the NFL draft. I know that sounds, to some people, that sounds a little silly, I think. Um, but I, I was told he got a sixth-round grade um, coming out this year. Um, and if you look at kind of the progression of his career, as you know, um, he had the best season um, mm-hmm. at Auburn this year. Um, and he's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of upside. It's just never been um, cohesively and consistently consistently honed in one particular season over this even over the stretch of a few games he's never really been able to do it very consistently and so I mean yeah, it just came down to a fit for a final season um because Nix made it very apparent look he was he was transparent about things after the season ended saying i I need to do what's better for me, and that's kind of when the transfer talk started because people were realizing he's not being committal about this you know he had he had multiple opportunities to say nope, I'm, I'm coming back to Auburn, um, you know, I, I can't see myself anywhere, anywhere else. I'm going to play one last year at Auburn. I mean, that would have been the easy answer. He had multiple opportunities to do that, and all of a sudden, you know, multiple times he was saying you know, different interviews and radio, all that kind of stuff that um, he's keeping all his options on the table. He needs to figure out what's best for his future. Um, and ultimately what that came down to is this is just going to be a one-season um, kind of vacuum for Bo Nix um, his senior year, his fourth season as a college player, where all he's trying to do is raise his draft stock. Obviously, he wants to go to a program that he likes, uh, and it makes sense because he was really close to Kenny Dillingham when he was here for a year at Auburn. But, yeah, he just wants to make it to the league. Um, you know, he, he, this is easily going to be you – know, its he has said this is going to be his final college season. Um, he's engaged. He's going to be married next year. So, I mean, he's ready to be done with college, but he did not think um, that Auburn was going to be the place for him to raise his NFL draft stock. And, I mean, it, there's, there's decent reasons why – You would be uh, valid in thinking that. You look at this offensive line turnover, they might lose six guys with starting experience on the offensive line. And then the wide receiving core kind of came along over the course of the season, but when Bo was healthy and when it was kind of the middle of the year, the meat of the SEC schedule, they dealt with a lot of issues in the receiving core. Um, So it's a move that in hindsight I think makes a lot more sense now. Um, And and the the glass half full Auburn fans will say that it's best for both sides um, because I think a lot of people have kind of grown you know, had had some boneless fatigue. He obviously did a lot of good things, but you know, there was always kind of that feeling that maybe he was holding Auburn's offense back. But um, at, at certain points, but this is going to be really important to see what Brian Harson does moving forward because not only is the you know, this quarterback battle, however he handles this, it's going to be important for the success of next next season. But I kind of think it hinges Brian Harson's tenure at Auburn sort of hinges on this. I mean, if they botch this and their quarterback play isn't very good, they could very well have a losing season next year, um, and obviously that might not bode well for Brian Harson's future.
2: Yeah. So, do you anticipate Auburn exploring the transfer portal to to get a veteran in there? That uh, you know, I'm not I'm not moving on Tank Finley. I know they got a freshman Davis they really like, but uh, you know, you got to have options in the SEC. So, do you think Auburn will will add a, a transfer quarterback?
0: I do. Yeah. they they've already been poking around um, a little bit. The two guys they've been in contact the most with. Um, are the one that everybody wants, and that's Cameron Ward from Incarnate Word. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it seems like you know Ole Miss might be in play for him. Um, you know, he was a, just a phenomenal quarterback on the FCS level. Everyone's been um, you know vying for his for his talents to come to their program. And then Keaton Slovis, obviously, was another big name that Auburn's been in contact with. Obviously, right now it seems like he might be more of a West Coast lean, might go back to a place um, like Arizona where he's from, he's from the Phoenix area. And so, um, you know, that that leads you to believe when you look at their involvement in the portal so far. It leads you to believe that that's the frame of mind for Brian Harson and this offensive staff right now is okay. You know, we like the quarterbacks we have. Um, certainly, Auburn's starting quarterback next year could be on the roster. Um, they've got three scholarship guys um, that are that are all talented in their own way, and I think could all be developed in their own way. into good players, um, but I really just looking ahead, I see this as being a four man quarterback battle at least in the spring. You know, because later on it can be it can be knocked down, and you can you can whittle out the candidates. A little bit, but I think when this when spring practices starts, assume assuming they can get somebody before spring, now because they didn't get TJ Finley until the middle of June, and so it could be just a guy coming in for fall camp. But Finley was just a good backup. That's why they added him, and they figured with his experience, he could just come in and be a good backup, and he he was exactly that. He was kind of exactly what they needed him Hmm. um, to be. It might be a situation now where they're trying to get a guy in for spring so that they can have that four-man quarterback battle.
2: Now there was a speculation that uh, Tank Bigsby was going to leave as well, but I believe Auburn Undercover was uh, the first to report uh, th- that he was going to stay at Auburn, and I, and I believe it was uh, a meeting with the coaching staff. Can you provide any insight into uh, you know what went in there and and how that uh, you know Auburn got Tank Bigsby to stay? Because I got to imagine. Had he put his name in the portal, every program in the country would have called him. I mean, he's that good of a player. So, I mean, that was a huge, huge uh, news for Auburn's football program.
0: Yeah, and this was kind of, you know, really the last three weeks or so were sort of a a master class in in showing everybody, you know, hey, things things change at the college level. Um, And sometimes they change really fast when you're dealing with 20-year-old kids Um, because obviously, you know, people jump to a lot of conclusions about Bo Nix, whether he was going to be staying or leaving. That was a situation that was going to be um, in flux, and it was in flux. There was a point in which Bo Nix, it seemed like he was heavily leaning toward staying, and then obviously it went the other way. There, Conversely, on the other end of the spectrum, it was the same with Tank Bixby. Um, there was a span about, about a 36-hour period um, where it really seemed like, you know, he, he and his uh, he and his mom had a meeting with the coaching staff. It really seemed like um, he had one foot out the door, and then there was, a, there was a day, I guess it was like a week and a half ago now, where there was a meeting set up with Brian Harson and some of the staff and some of the coaching staff. Um, and the, the purpose of the meeting was to try to convince him to stay. Um, and it works. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't work out super often. Um, maybe that's kind of a, you know, now you look in hindsight, maybe he wasn't leaning toward leave, leaving as much as some, um, you know, some people thought and kind of as much as was implied, but yeah, that's easily the biggest recruiting win um, for Brian Harson in his time at Auburn, getting a guy like that, especially with the Bo Nix situation. Um, because that's a night. If he leaves to if Tank leaves too, that's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have your two offensive MVPs by a significant margin, um, you know. And, and Tank Bigsby had a, you know, he only had two 100-yard games in SEC play, so he, his role, his role didn't diminish. His production kind of diminished as a sophomore. We'll see how they're able to fix the run blocking um, next season. But yeah, that would have been a massive, massive blow. I, I'm really not sure how, how this offense would have rebounded from that. But now you've got a guy in Tank Bigsby where you're saying, you know that. The, it's very possible next year's his last season because it'll be his junior year. He'll probably try to turn pro and, and see what he can do in the NFL. And so he'll be the workhorse next year. He will be the focal point of this offense, regardless of who they bring in at quarterback. It's going to be Auburn's first, you know, new starting quarterbacks in, in, in three years. And so, um, you know, they'll, they'll certainly lean on Tank Bigsby and they're probably going to need him because like we said, um, you know, they're going to be breaking in a new offensive line and, and the receiving core still kind of have got some question marks and then a new quarterback. So Certainly think Bixby should have an opportunity next year to get over a thousand yard one a thousand yards again. Me.
2: Mm-hmm. And last week was so huge for Auburn on the, the recruiting trail. I believe heading into maybe a week prior to uh, the, the early signing period, Auburn was sitting at twelfth in the SEC in the recruiting ranks according to twenty four seven Sports composite. Now, after a, an incredible close here, they're sitting at number six in the SEC, number thirteen nationally. How impressed were you with Auburn's ability to close on so many key targets and, and get uh, you know so many decisions to go their way during the early signing period?
0: Well, I think that there were two takeaways for me. Number one, when you have a class like this, and this is why a lot of people who follow recruiting very closely were nervous about how this was going to shake out for Auburn at the end because you don't want to put all your cards on the table for the very end. You don't want to bank on it and say, ah, we'll, we'll land all these guys that we want to land and we'll be right where we need to be. Um, it often doesn't happen that way. A lot of there's, there's flips. There's, there's guys that um, end up signing later, which Auburn's got a four-star defensive lineman, Caden story, which he's not going to sign until February. And so it looks like he's going to be taking some official visits other, other places. So they might have to kind of re recruit him. But other than that, they landed every single recruit they needed to land over the past week. Um, And even the the second takeaway is even though they missed out on two guys, they thought they could have um, Curtis Perry, the four-star defensive lineman um, from just a couple hours down the road, and Darius Clemens, the four-star receiver um, from Oregon. They missed out on both of those guys. Those guys were at one point Auburn was their number one, and it really looked like they were coming to Auburn. If they get both those guys, they're probably a top-ten class. But the fact they were able to jump into the top 15, um, even without a couple of their targets um, that went, you know, Darius Clemens went to Michigan, and Curtis Perry ended up choosing um, Alabama, which kind of was expected down the stretch. They get a big flip with Robert Woodyard, who – because of what they're losing in the linebacking core, they might they might lose their top three linebackers. Um, he's the highest-rated player in their class now, and he, he, he'll probably have an opportunity um, to play as a true freshman. They almost cleaned house on the defensive side of the ball from the Juco ranks. They got the number one Juco defensive tackle, number one Juco corner, and number one Juco safety. Um, so they're going to be able to reload that defense pretty nicely um, next season. Yeah, it, I mean, it was impressive. I mean, I, a lot of people had their doubts um, about how this staff was recruiting, and, kind of their recruiting plan, but as Keith said last week on our podcast, like you brought up a good point, you know, that um, it seems like they're kind of figuring it out. You know, and, and you come into the SEC with a staff that's not familiar with this territory and it's obviously, um, you know, not very cohesive. A lot of them hadn't done this um, before as a group. Obviously you had some of the Boise guys, but, you know, their ideals are different than the SEC ideal. seems like everybody's sort of, sort of coming together at Auburn and sort of figuring this thing out um Zach Etheridge the cornerbacks coach had a phenomenal week he was key in securing those guys Derek Mason was a really big recruiter for them um so yeah I mean I think if you, if they can hold on to this that needs to be their objective if they can hold on to a top 15 ranking that's huge I mean that, that's really really big and that puts this program um in a good position to to stay afloat in the SEC which is when you know when you're in this conference that's all you can really ask for
2: mm-hmm. and I know we already hit on uh you know potentially adding a quarterback via the transfer portal but now that we have uh, the the, sign, the early signing period come and gone, is there another position group aside from quarterbacks that uh, you really think Auburn will, will attack either via National Signing Day or the transfer portal to, to shore up some issues?
0: Offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. <laughs> that is the one red flag right now. Um, and it, it, I mean, and Brian Harson, in, in not as many words, sort of said as much. Um, this, the state they're in right now is kind of unacceptable. Um, for this recruiting class moving forward. They lost to Drew Bobo, um, who's a three-star center from right down the road at Auburn High. Not surprising. Obviously, his dad got shown the door. Um, His dad is obviously Mike Bobo, and he uh, again, unsurprisingly, went to Georgia. Drew Bobo did, where his dad went to school and coached for a long time, and so that that made a lot of sense. The only offensive lineman they have on board for this class, committed or signed, is Eston Harris, who is a a big, big tackle prospect, also from Auburn High School. Um, But he's a three-star. He's kind of a Raw player that they're they're you know they're hoping to be able to develop over the course of the next few years. That's not going to cut it for this class, and so um, there are a couple guys they're looking at. You know, I would not be surprised if they get three or four offensive linemen um, to come in. Either you know at the recruiting ranks, probably you, maybe you get one or two there, and then in the transfer portal you get one or two there. Um, they've already been doing that. The name of the FIU offensive tackle, his name escapes me. Um, there's also a Virginia offensive tackle in the portal. His name escapes me as well. Um, but they were in with those guys. Obviously, the FIU um, FIU transfer didn't work out, and uh, you know they're just they've they've been very heavy looking at offensive line recruits because, like we talked about, they could they could be in a situation where not only they lose those six guys with starting experience, which Auburn's offensive line had its issues, um, and so sometimes just because people have starting experience doesn't mean that's a good thing. But you know you don't want to completely start from scratch. You don't think that's necessarily um, a good situation. They have a couple returning pieces, but. Really, other than other than two guys at the both tackle spots who had who had some starting experience in the past, and their starting right guard returning, um, pretty much nobody else on the roster um, has any experience in SEC play at all. And so, you feel like you've got to go get a couple guys like you did, like Brandon Council a couple years ago, who started at guard for them for two years. He was a really big pickup from from Akron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to go to a big school; you just got to land somebody that you feel like can come in and fill a gap for a little bit. So that, that is going to be, all eyes are going to be on the offensive line because even though their ranking is really good right now and they're getting all these flashy players, um, they added six blue chip prospects in the last week. That's all good and dandy. But if Auburn can't figure out his offensive line, which has unquestionably been its biggest issue the last three seasons, um, they're not going to get very far in offense. And no matter who's playing quarterback, they're probably not going to be very successful.
2: Man, all these issues. I hope they nailed this offensive coordinator hires. What can you tell us about uh, Austin Davis? Of course, now it's official former quarterback coach for the Seattle Seahawks. How do you see him fitting in there with uh, Brian Harson's coaching staff?
0: Well, I think kind of just reading the language and, and the context that Brian Harson talked about last week, we talked to him in Birmingham um, for a bowl game press conference, but the, the, the hire had not been made official yet. So he kind of just talked about the vacancy in general. And then we talked to TJ Finley, the next day, um, and this is a hire that makes a lot of sense for what Brian Harson is trying to do right now. All signs are pointing toward Harson calling plays for this offense next season, which obviously he's done in the past. He's a play caller, coordinator, quarterbacks coach at Boise State. He did the same at Texas, and so um, it makes a lot of sense given the state of things last year with Mike Bubba. He, he sort of started putting his hand deeper into the offense over the course of the season and, and kind of taking over and kind of running things his way, and so it'll be interesting to see how different that looks next season but you know there there is going to be an offensive coordinator tag on austin davis but really what he's going to be is he's going to be he's the guy that's a designated quarterbacks coach brian harson said one of the most important things about this hire was getting somebody that can not only develop the quarterback position but can recruit the quarterback position and you're talking about a guy i know that he doesn't have much college experience um, but you're talking about a guy that's worked with russell wilson um, and kind of has that cachet to him whenever he's able to pitch to recruit and so he's also from the south he's from Mississippi, he's got ties there from his time with Southern Miss. And I, so I really don't think that's that big of an issue. Auburn's defensive line coach, Nick Ethan, coached in the NFL. Um, he was an NFL guy, and he's had no problem coming in and making an impact on the recruiting trail. Um, and so it'll, it'll be three guys kind of putting their heads together. Obviously, Harson will probably have the most influence on the offense. And then Austin Davis, who's now the OC and quarterbacks coach, and Eric Kesaw, um, who is, we'll see if he, he maybe adds like a passing game coordinator role in the future, maybe a co OC. Um, kind of a tag to him, but he's the receivers coach right now. He was Harson's OC for three years at Boise State, and that's somebody that uh, that Brian Harson talked about last week. As you know, I've got a lot of experience with him. He and I you know know each other. We know how we like to run offenses together. So sounds like you know yes, Austin Davis is the offensive coordinator, and he will have a much bigger opportunity than he had with the Seahawks to be a part of the offensive game plan. At the same time, it'll probably be more of a brain trust situation. Three guys kind of putting their heads together. Um, to form the offense, and, the, and then Brian Harson will act a few things on game day.
2: All right, last thing for you, Nathan. I really appreciate all your time, but, man, it's wild. So we get this transfer news, we get the signing period, we got coaching changes. We still got a bowl game to play. I mean, they jam-pack all this in a couple weeks span. So uh, what can you tell us about uh, how Auburn matches up with number 20 Houston in the Birmingham Bowl, which will be uh, Tuesday, December 28th, And uh, it sounds like Auburn is is anticipating quite the crowd. And I I guess that makes sense given the fact it's the Birmingham Bowl. But what's your expectations heading into this one?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a a positive for this kind of a game. Um, I think, you know, Birmingham Bowl really wanted Auburn. I'm not sure if Auburn really wanted the (laughs) Birmingham Bowl. um, But it's certainly a fit that makes a lot of sense. um, And they're going to have a lot of fans there. Um, It's a tough draw for both sides because you're talking about Auburn. Um, you know, you've got to you've got to play a team in Houston that won 11 straight games. They're one of the best winning streaks um, in the country. They've got one of the best defense. Really they've got a top 10 overall defense in the country, top 10 scoring defense. Um, that made the conference championship game and, and, and hung with Cincinnati there for a little bit before losing that game. And then if you're if you're Houston, you're thinking, what's our reward for going 11 and one in the regular season? Is playing a six and six SEC team in its own backyard? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just you know. That, that, I, I'm not sure how I would fix it. I, am not saying I have any answers for it or anything like that. I just thought that was interesting. I don't think it's necessarily a great, uh, a great draw for other, for either side. Um, This is a concerning matchup for Auburn um, in terms of how powerful Houston's defense has been this season. I am interested though, to see how things are offset in this game, because you've got so many factors that if you just look at these teams on paper, like week zero of this year, Mm -hmm. that this would be a different matchup. There's no bone for Auburn. Um, when you're talking about Houston, they're going to have their two de- best defensive players have both opted out. Marcus Jones, who is an All-American cornerback last year, who Zach Etheridge coached, um, he's opted out of the bowl game. Logan Hall, who led them in tackles for loss, he's their best def- defensive lineman. I think he's like a second- or third-round projection. He is also not playing. So th- Those things kind of offset each other, I would think. You go back to Auburn's side. Their two best defensive players are not playing in this game. Zachoby McClain is not playing. Obviously, you know everybody knows how great he's been. Roger McCreary is going to be a first-round pick. At cornerback, he's an All American, and so the biggest question for me is just how good is this Houston defense? Number one, after facing off against, I believe, it looked it up this morning, the 97th toughest schedule in the country. Um, really, after that, those first couple games and, and minus matchups, you know, with so Cincinnati, um, they didn't really have very tough competition, and they were kind of able to shut everybody down, you know, be, beaten up on teams like Tulane in the American Conference. But uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how good their defense is against an SEC offense. But at the same time, Auburn's got two starting offensive linemen that aren't going to play. Tayshawn Manning's already transferred, um, and Broderius Hamm is, is sitting at the bowl game so he can prepare for the NFL draft. And so it'll be interesting to me for, you know, to see how good Houston's defense actually will be in this game. Um, I think it'll probably be a close game. I really don't see Auburn having the firepower to run away with it. T.J. Finley um, is supposed to be good for this game. You know, He's been going through practice. He's fine after that ankle injury. Um, but he said himself he, he's not going to be 100%. Um, and so you know we'll see how how he's able to move the offense along obviously when he got that injury against Alabama he really was immobilized like he wasn't able to do anything in the pocket wasn't able to step in and push the ball downfield like he's used to and so I think this will be a big defensive matchup Auburn's defense though to me has enough athletes and enough players even without their two best players to be the best unit in this game um and if T.J. Finley is able to make a few plays thank big to make a few plays Auburn is able to win this game but uh yeah, I'm interested to see how good Houston's defense actually is because on paper it's supposed to be really, really good.
2: Man, the storylines going into bowl season it's it's night and day different than it was years ago. But uh, I guess that's just where we're at, huh?
0: Yeah, I mean Brian Harson said it this week, and It's it's not something you can sit and complain about. Number one, I mean, in my opinion, you shouldn't complain about it. If these guys want to take they want to sit out the Birmingham Bowl um, <laughs> to prepare for you know a 15 year NFL future. Um, they should definitely do that. But at the same time. Um, it happens to everybody, so it's not like you can complain about it um, because it's happening all across the country. And it's Houston, That might be their two best players, period, on the entire roster, Marcus Jones and Logan Hall, and I, I think Roger McCreary is probably the best player on Auburn's roster. And so, again, we'll see how those things sort of set each other off and sort of mitigate each other. Um, and I think this should be a pretty even matchup. I think these teams are pretty evenly matched. Um, and on, I mean, honestly, I'm excited to see it. It's a pretty good matchup, um, and I think that's that's probably a pretty good compliment for the Birmingham Bowl.
2: All right, well, he's Nathan King. Give him a follow at Nathan King 247 He's the Auburn beat writer for 24-7 sports. And don't forget to check out the podcast, the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Nathan, thank you so, so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. For sure. I
0: appreciate y'all. Y'all have a good holiday week.
2: All right, so I appreciate Nathan joining the show. Once again, you can give him a follow at Nathan King 247 sports And don't forget to check out all the work they're doing over there at AuburnUndercover.com. Part of the, uh, obviously, the 24-7 Sports Network and his podcast, the Auburn Undercover Podcast. That's where I get my Auburn news. So, really appreciate Nathan joining the show. Hey, like I said, Shay double whammy here. I mean, my goodness, all the <laughs> interviews, knows, news, uh, notes across the SEC, and more importantly, really felt like we had to bring in somebody that was going to bring in some insight to all these Mm -hmm. teams outside of the SEC and no one better than my man, Steven Lazen of Athlon Sports. So let's kick it over to that interview. Well, we're pleased to once again be joined by one of my favorite podcasters, college football insiders. He's Steven Lazen of Athlon Sports. Got to give him a follow at Athlon Steven. He writes and edits the college football preview magazine we all know and love. And, of course, he's the – host of the Outstanding Cover 2 podcast for Athlon Sports. Stephen, thanks again for joining us once again. I really appreciate it.
3: Hey, Mike. It's great to talk to you once again. It's uh, it's a fun time for uh, college football fans with the bowl season going on. Also a little chaotic uh, with the transfer portal and uh, coach <laughs> movement. But, uh, yeah, I guess there's really no offseason anymore for college football.
2: Yeah, we were joking right before we started recording here. Man, I took a week off. I thought that would be a perfect time right before Christmas. And, man, it was like one mega bomb after another of uh, everything happening. And that's just SEC. So I cannot imagine people like you that cover the entire nation, how busy you are even during this holiday season. So I really do appreciate you hopping on. And, and like I said, with 13 SEC bowl games, there's no one better than Steven Lassen to break down some of these opponents that the SEC will be facing this bowl season, and let's just start right there, Stephen, with the uh, the first SEC bowl game, the Armed Forces Bowl, Missouri versus Army, and I do not envy Stephen you for t- having to break these down with uh, who knows who's gonna be even playing these games. I mean, Eli Drinkwitz just came out here on Tuesday and said Tyler Beatty's not playing; they're gonna go with Brady Cook as the starting quarterback. So. Connor Basilak's not going to be playing. So it's impossible to handicap these games. But what can you tell the audience about uh, Army and the season they had?
3: Yeah, I think what you were getting at there is something important as to keep in mind as you're watching bowl season, because of the way the transfers and coaching and opt outs are now, you know, it's really difficult to like make any kind of takeaways from bowl games like we should just enjoy them as sort of exhibition games almost. If you want to play Army, you almost want to get them like in the season opener or the bowl game because of what they do. I mean, they run the option. They are very difficult to prepare for. Missouri's had trouble all year stopping the run. They were a little bit better later in the season. But, you know, you know when you play Army, it is a low-possession game, and you sort of have to maximize every possession that you get because you may only get the ball a couple times in every half. So I think stylistically – you know what they're going to do on offense. They're going to run the option. They've got a handful of you know guys who carry the ball. Jacoby Buchanan is a big fullback. Uh, Tyrell Robinson is a little bit more of a faster player. Christian Anderson, their quarterback, does a lot of the ball carrying too. So you know what you're getting from the offense and from the defense. You know They're giving up only about 23 points a game. They've been prone to giving up a little bit uh, big plays, but overall they do a good job of once you get – kind of in that scoring area, finding ways uh, to get off the field. And of course, without Tyler Beatty now uh, from Missouri, a lot of intrigue for me about what the running back situation looks like, what the quarterbacks look like. So I I think for Missouri, it's going to be really crucial to sort of push the tempo and get ahead on the scoreboard because once you fall behind against army, I mean, they've played Wisconsin this year, they've played wake forest. uh, They can be a really difficult opponent in the bowl season.
2: Yeah. And Steve Wilks and this Missouri defense, they've gotten on, they improve their run defense, but uh, man, like you said, this is going to be the ultimate test of uh, how far they've come on that side of the ball. And and they must've been rolling their eyes when they heard they are going to face army in a bowl game. You know what?
3: Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of like, it's like I said, it's good that you catch army in the bowl game if you're going to play him, but it's also one of those matchups that you really don't want to play because the blocking and the way that they run is like once you they start get that that option going and you third and fourth quarter if it's in a tight game and you're trying to make a stop, they are very difficult to to defend and it's the same thing that West Virginia fought against them last year in the bowl game of low possessions, and once they got behind it was tough to keep up so yeah, uh, I would say Missouri probably this probably was not the matchup they wanted to see in the bowl season.
2: Now, another game we got this week, Thursday, December 23rd. Florida is going to be facing Central Florida in the Gasparilla Bowl. Anthony Richardson's going to be out. Uh, there's been several opt-outs from the Florida Gators. It, it sounds like it's going to be Emory Jones, who I guess he's going to enter the portal after the game. I've I've never seen a start quarterback make the decision to enter the portal after a, a game he's got upcoming. But, hey, this is a, a little bit of a rivalry down there in the S- Sunshine State what can you tell us about uh, Gus Malzon, his first team down there at uh, UCF?
3: Yeah, I was going to start by saying, yeah, old friend Gus Malzahn <laughs> taking on the SEC again. And, you know, you mentioned it there, all Florida. And, and I think that sort of speaks to, you know, bowl game motivation. Motivation is so important in these games. Like who wants to be there? Who wants to show up? I have no doubt in my mind that UCF really wants this game. They're getting a power five opponent. Uh, In-state opponent, you know, in, in a bowl game where you know UCF this year is eight and four, and they've had you know they've had a, to navigate a lot of injuries. Dylan Gabriel, their quarterback, got hurt; he transferred to UCLA. They've been banged up at receiver and running back, but still getting to eight and four was a good season for this uh, for this UCF team. They have a lot of guys that you know SEC fans may remember Brandon Johnson, the Tennessee transfer, is a mm-hmm. receiver. Big cat Bryant is, is on defense he's had 14 tackles for a loss this season and their defense has been good uh, 25 points a game given up offensively they're really not that explosive right now in offense Mikey Keene is a freshman who is starting at quarterback and he's been solid but if, if you look down the stretch you know they won five out of their last six games and some of those opponents weren't very good so, they're, they're really not right now because of the injuries and quarterback transfer they're just not as explosive on offense as they were early in the season so i, I think for florida motivation is key i actually think emory jones playing in this game is pretty important because they won't have anthony richardson and, and also too you know a little hat tip to greg knox you know he beat uh getting the win over florida state was good to get to a bowl game and then not to mention he coached Mississippi state before in a bowl game and led them to a win. So I think if you're Florida motivation is important, uh, but also with the experience that Knox has and keeping Emory Jones is important uh, with everything that's gone on there.
2: Mm -hmm. And then uh, next week, man, these are these, both these games could be pretty wild here Tuesday, December 28th. We got number 20 Houston playing Auburn in the Birmingham bowl. I just spoke to uh, Nathan King of 24 seven sports and man, he was, basically saying anybody and everybody on Auburn's defense sitting out this game. Of course, Bo Nix has already left. What can you tell us about Houston and how they match up and Houston's had a couple of opt-outs too. So it's kind of like the opt-out bowl down there in Birmingham.
3: Yeah, it really is. I mean, Houston is missing Marcus Jones, who is one of the nation's top cornerbacks return men. Uh, So that's good news. If you're Auburn, you're not playing, you know, you don't have to throw against a good cornerback and a good special teams guy. This is a really good Houston team. They spent time in the top 25, only losses to Texas Tech and Cincinnati this year. They at one point had an 11-game winning streak. And, you know, the, of course, they're led by Dana Holgerson. You know, SEC fans know uh, kind of how, the, how, how he operates, certainly very explosive on offense. Uh, offensively, you know, they're averaging about 37 points a game, so they are explosive once again. And it really, they kind of have a trio on offense, Alton McCaskill is a good freshman running back. Nathaniel Dell at receiver um, and Clayton Tune at quarterback. So they're very good on offense. And this is the biggest reason that Houston made the jump to 11 wins this year was their defense. Their defense got a lot better this season. Uh, so I, I think this is a tough opponent for Auburn, considering uh, some of the injury question marks. Is TJ Finley healthy? Uh, you know, I think when you kind of look from a matchup perspective. Houston struggled to stop Cincinnati's pass rush in that conference championship game. And if Auburn can get that defensive front going, uh, that might be the one thing that slows down Houston. But this is going to be a tough matchup. Houston's well balanced. They've got good playmakers on offense and their defense, even without Marcus Jones, uh, should be a pretty good group.
2: Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was the Houston defensive coordinator that uh, they just signed to a big contract. So they must really like what he's been doing down there.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Doug Belk is the defensive coordinator there and is probably a guy we will see in the future in some defensive coordinator searches. Wouldn't surprise me, um, especially for SEC radar. But yeah, the defense has improved significantly from last season. And, and also too, Clayton Toon at quarterback has made the jump too. he was hurt early in the season and got healthy and the offense sort of took off. So if you're Auburn, you're you're really dealing with two sides of the ball that are pretty good here.
2: Now, hey, if you want some drama, also on uh, Tuesday, December twenty eighth, Mississippi State, Texas Tech in the Liberty Bowl. We all know the backstory there with uh, Texas Tech firing Mike Leach, still owing him money. He loves to bring that up. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be wild to see what the Pirate, you know, if he you know, tries to uh, really pound Texas Tech if they can. And and Texas Tech, man, they fired their coach. I think they had a pretty good record and, and of course, went on to the to Liberty Bowl here. So... Uh, what can you tell us about the season Tex had that uh, even though they fired their coach, you know, they didn't uh, give in on the season?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Getting to six and six uh, this year for Texas Tech, they fired Matt Wells later in the season and Sonny Cumby has been the interim coach later in the season. So, you know, just getting to six wins was kind of maybe exceeding expectations for Texas Tech. They were right there for, Five six wins uh, by most people this preseason, but you know you mentioned it. The storyline in this game is Mike Leach against his his former team, Mississippi State. Is one of the biggest favorites of the bowl season. You can kind of see where this one is headed. <laughs> but you know when you're studying Texas Tech, I think you know you think about offense. You think about the air raid, how productive they've been on that side of the ball. Um, you know they're, they're good on offense. They're not quite as good as they have been. Donovan Smith. Uh, took over at quarterback this year. They've had some injuries there, and I think he's probably more of a dual threat than they're used to having at Texas Tech, a little bit more mobile. Um, they still have good skill players, but their defense has been a mess the last couple of years, and they've, they're giving up about 67% completion to opposing quarterbacks, so... I think you can see where this one is going. Texas Tech was on the razor's edge of bowl eligibility, interim coach, Mississippi State, very motivated coach, and, and a high-powered offense. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Mississippi State is a big favorite in this game.
2: Now, uh, kicking over to uh, Thursday, December 30th, familiar foes here, North Carolina for South Carolina in the uh, Duke Mayo Bowl. And uh, if no other reason to watch this game, Shane Beamer says if they win, pour the mayo on them. <laughs> What can you tell – I don't think Mac Brown is saying the same. What, what can you tell us about uh, the, the Tar Heels this year?
3: You know, North Carolina didn't quite meet preseason expectations this year. You know, they had top 10, top 15, um, you know, preseason expectations by most people. And some of that was they lost a couple players to the NFL, Javante Williams, Michael Carter. Um, you know, they also lost another – you know, some receivers – they just didn't quite get there this year, but they still have Sam Howell, a quarterback. Uh, could be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. He chose to play in this game. I think everyone is believing that he will head to the NFL after this game. But to me, he's been carrying this team. I mean, as a passer, but also as a rusher. He has over 800 yards rushing. The line of scrimmage has been a challenge for North Carolina this year. Uh, pass blocking. You know, defensively, they've had issues against the run. So, you know, when you study this matchup, you know, for, for me, South Carolina needs to contain Sam Howe, and they need to test that uh, North Carolina defensive front. So I think with Howe playing in this game, that's a big uh, kind of check in North Carolina's favor uh, in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. So, yeah, I think if you're South Carolina, line, winning the line of scrimmage is going to be really important to slowing down uh, the Sam Howe, potentially one of the first quarterbacks off the board next year.
2: Mm -hmm. And also on Thursday, December 30th, Tennessee playing Purdue in the Music City Bowl in Nashville should be a pretty solid crowd for uh, the Tennessee faithful. And I know a couple of the Purdue's key players have already opted out. What can you tell us about uh, the Boilermakers?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, David Bell at receiver and George Karloftis, the defensive end, have opted out for this game. And those are two huge losses. They are, you know, arguably when you make a list of Purdue's best players they were at the top of the list uh, for that team I I think when you just study this matchup I mean offense like that's the thing that jumps out to me because Purdue loves to throw the ball Aiden O'Connell is their quarterback they like to use kind of a short mid-range they will take some shots downfield They're fifth nationally in pass attempts they don't run it well sometimes they don't protect well but they love to throw it and that's kind of where it starts on on offense and you know, when you look at their defensive stats, they're giving up about six yards of play against teams with a winning record this year. So statistically, their defense has been solid, but it's still prone uh, to giving up yards. So I, I, I'm i expecting some offense here between these two, th- two teams. Tennessee is a small favorite, uh, but I, I like the matchup for the Volunteers in the Music City Bowl. All
2: right, now how about Friday, New Year's Eve? Man, we got a loaded schedule here. Wake Forest, number 17 against... Number 25, Texas A&M, in the Gator Bowl. And uh, who knows, a- A&M, who they even going to start at quarterback? <laughs> Looks like it might be a walk-on, might be Haynes King if he's able to go. They've had opt-outs left and right. Uh, what can you tell us about Wake Forest, who I, I believe they've got uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC?
3: Absolutely, yeah. Sam Hartman has had a really nice season uh, for Wake Forest. And not to mention, they have two 1,000 000- Yard receivers on the outside. So I think, in terms of styles, you know, Wake Forest would love nothing more than to sort of jump on AM, score early, make AM play from behind with the uncertainty at quarterback. Uh, you know, Wake Forest defensively, though, is not very good. They've been giving up about 200 rushing yards a game and, and their defensive coordinator left for Duke. So if you're AM, you know, I think imposing your will here and running the ball and try to control the line of scrimmage is the way to go. This is this has been actually a pretty special season for Wake Forest. I mean, it's just the second time in school history they won double-digit games. They won the division title. So they come into this game. I, we mentioned motivation. You know, there's a lot of key guys off this Wake Forest team uh, that may not be back next year, and they have a difference maker, at quarterback. So with, with everything swirling uh, around AM, this will be a tough matchup for them.
2: Hmm. Now, we, of course, got the playoff games. I don't know why in the world they play these on New Year's Eve, but it is what it is. It wrecks all our New Year's plans for us (laughs) uh, college football addicts. But we got number four Cincinnati, number one Alabama, of course, in the Cotton Bowl. What can you tell us about the Bearcats finally pushing through and making the uh, college football playoff?
3: I think the first thing that jumps out to me about Cincinnati is the, the moment will not be too big for them. Like, they've already beat Notre Dame this year on the road. They played Georgia well uh, last year in the bowl season. Uh, th- they will not be sort of overwhelmed by the matchup, I, I don't think. When you study this team, it really there's several key guys who have played a lot of football for the Bearcats. I mean, Desmond Ritter at quarterback, dual-threat player, continues to get better as a passer. They sort of have a collection of receivers. Jerome Ford. Uh, SEC fans may remember him. He was at Alabama. He's been an explosive Mm -hmm. running back for Cincinnati this year. And their pass defense, they've allowed only 10 passing touchdowns all season. Ahmad Gardner on one side, Kobe Bryant on the other. They've been locked down corners all year, both All-Americans. So they have a stout pass defense, and they are good at getting pressure. Um, This defense, a lot of veterans. It's right near the top of college football. You add in a dual-threat quarterback and Desmond Ritter on the other side. So I think with everything that Cincinnati has been experienced and the veterans they have in this game, um, I think that gives them a chance to you know, maybe kind of keep this one close early on. I still like Alabama to win, but I think everything that Cincinnati's been through with all these guys and getting to this point uh, wouldn't surprise me if they maybe cover that 13, 14-point spread. But Alabama sort of controls the game from the start.
2: Well, a lot of what you said about Cincinnati, you highlighted their defense. Do they, do they have anybody that could slow down Will Anderson? And, and even if maybe that's an unfair question, because no one's really been able to slow down Will Anderson this <laughs> year.
3: <laughs> you know, I actually I'm glad you brought that up, because if one of the questions about Cincinnati coming into this season was the offensive line, it, it was the, the one question that they had when you studied this team with all the veterans they have and the dynamic quarterback Ritter's mobility helps with that. But the offensive line was one area that coming into the season there was some uncertainty about. Statistically, they've been fine. I also think when you look at their schedule, they, they haven't really been testing. Notre Dame, Houston were the ones that were able to, you know, put some stress on that offensive line. So to me, I think that the line of scrimmage would not would not surprise me if Alabama offensively If Brian Robinson actually has a good game, because Tulsa was able to run the ball well against Cincinnati uh, just a few weeks ago. And I think on the defensive side for Alabama, Anderson and those pass rushers, I think they can have some success against the Cincinnati offensive line. That's one area where G5, Power Five, you know, matching up in the trenches is always a concern.
2: Mm -hmm. Now, the other playoff matchup, of course, Georgia against Michigan in the Orange Bowl should be one heck of a contest. Uh, what can you tell us about Jim Harbaugh's red-hot Michigan Wolverine team?
3: You know, I think this game, a lot of it is a line of scrimmage battle. You know, you look at what Michigan has been able to do offensively with running the ball this season. Cade McNamara, the quarterback, has been really solid. They don't, you know, I think when you study the what happened in the SEC championship game, you know, Bryce Young and those receivers were able to take advantage of Georgia's secondary. Like, if Michigan wants to win this game, they're going to have to be able to do that. They have playmakers. They've, you know, Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, Eric All at tight end. You add in the running backs that they have and J.J. McCarthy, uh, their second quarterback. Like, they have some playmakers. I just don't know they're going to be able to make enough plays in the passing game. But on the defensive side of the ball, Aiden Hutchinson... David Ajabo, they've combined for 25 sacks. they are going to cause some havoc this, this in this uh, playoff game. And a big reason that Michigan went from you know kind of preseason fringe top 25 team to this point was both sides of the ball have taken a big step forward. They changed defensive coordinators from last year. they're mixing a lot of things up on defense and they're winning the battle at the line of scrimmage. So it, it is going to be interesting to see, how Michigan matches up against Georgia in the trenches, and then off of that, what can Michigan do offensively? Because Cade McNamara has been solid, but he will have to make a lot of plays in the passing game, I think, to win uh, in the Orange Bowl.
2: Now, the million-dollar question down there in Athens, I got to ask you as well, who would you start at quarterback for Georgia, uh, assuming that JT Daniels is healthy, which according to all my information is he's, he's healthy. He didn't necessarily look at it, Last time we saw him on the field against Missouri, looked a little rusty. But uh, you know, who who would you start there if you were Kirby Smart?
3: Oh man, that's a that's a that's definitely the million dollar question. <laughs> I I think I'll say this about Stetson Bennett: I did not think that he was the sole reason they lost the SEC championship game. You know, the the pass defense, the line of scrimmage. You know, Georgia could clean some of that up, and he he made some big mistakes, obviously. That mm-hmm. cannot happen if Georgia wants to win the national championship. I actually think I would start Bennett in this game, and I think one of the reasons why is is what we were talking about with the pass rush of Michigan. I think you're going to need someone who can move around because Hutchinson and Ajabo will make some plays in this game. Georgia's offensive line has been solid this year, but those two pass rushers will get you know will create havoc on anyone. So having someone who is mobile. I think could be an advantage for Georgia in this game.
2: And what's the likelihood, if you could give it maybe a percentage point, that we see Alabama and Georgia in the national championship game? Where would you put that number?
3: I think pretty high. Um, that's the matchup that I like. I, I think, you know, if I had to put a lot of confidence, I, I feel I feel a lot more confident about Alabama winning, but I have Georgia very mm-hmm. high in my, uh, my very bad confidence picks for the bowl games for, <laughs> for beating Michigan. You know, it is interesting if you – if you look down the road a little bit and you know, we'll have to see what happens in these games, but seeing Georgia as a slight favorite against Alabama is really intriguing because I think too many people just tossed in the towel on Georgia after losing to Alabama, they've been very good all year and dominant is probably the best way to word it. So uh, mm-hmm. I will be interested to see how those two teams look in the playoff games and then see what what that means for the national championship, because it would not surprise me if the result flips from the SEC championship game.
2: Now, moving to New Year's Day, we got Penn State and Arkansas in the Outback Bowl. Uh, what, I know uh, that Penn State already lost their defensive coordinator. but They've hired Manny Diaz. What can you tell us about
3: Penn State? Yeah, the first thing about Penn State is offensively, they really don't protect all that well, and they don't run it all that well. It's Sean Clifford and their receivers have had to kind of shoulder the load on offense this year. You know, they finished 7-5, and but they had a lot of close losses. You know, you think back to the game against Iowa where Sean Clifford was hurt. They played Ohio State well. So, you know, this is a good Penn State team that's a little too one-dimensional on offense right now. And defensively, you know, you mentioned it. They won't have coordinator Brent Pry. He's off to be the head coach at Virginia Tech. They're also missing two starters at linebacker and they're really thin on the defensive line this year. They've had some injuries. They came into the year uh, needing some transfers to step up, and they did, uh, but they're still pretty thin in the defensive line and linebacker group. So I I think the thing to me when you study the matchup is can Arkansas win the line of scrimmage, get some pressure on on Sean Clifford, and on the flip side of things, there's no Traylon Burks, but Arkansas still has uh, K.J. Jefferson, and with that thin Uh, Penn State front seven. uh, That could be a good matchup for Jefferson and Arkansas uh, on Mm -hmm. January 1st.
2: Now, how about uh, the Citrus Bowl? Number 15, Iowa versus uh, number 22, Kentucky. Well, what can you tell us about uh, Iowa, aside from the fact that uh, last time they saw the field, they could barely score?
3: Yeah, that's the thing with Iowa is they love to play defense. They love to run the ball. They're not afraid to punt, and they will play the field position game. They are plus 14 in turnover margin this year and Kentucky is minus 13 so that's a real problem uh, for Kentucky I I think that's the storyline when you play Iowa is they're not going to generate a lot of explosive plays on offense they're content to play to their defense they're content to try to force some turnovers if you're Kentucky get them out of that you know you want to score early if you don't turn the ball over make them piece together long drives which they struggle to do Um, is the best way to win this game also Iowa will not have Tyler Goodson who is their you know their best offensive uh, weapon at running back Iowa does have the best center in college football Tyler Linderbaum but the rest of the offensive line has not been very good this year so this is a game where if Kentucky doesn't beat itself with all the uh, weapons with Wanda Robinson and and Rodriguez and Levis um, you know I like their chances in this game just simply because Iowa just is not able to piece together enough offensive drives this year, even though the defense for Iowa is very good and will keep them in this game.
2: Yeah, and the only thing I can add about Iowa, they just put out a fullback hype video that is is incredible. It's the most incredible (laughs) hype video I've ever seen from a fullback, so they got that going for them.
3: Yeah, we we need more fullbacks with neck rolls. And you know, like we don't have that. We used to have that like in the nineties, some good good fullback neck rolls, man.
2: Absolutely. Well, what what should be one of the best games of all bowl season? This aside from the playoff games, this is probably the one I'm looking forward to the most. The Sugar Bowl, number seven Baylor, number eight Ole Miss. I know Dave Aranda's down there doing his thing. They just won the Big 12. What can you tell us about the Baylor Bears?
3: much improved from last season and you can kind of point to two areas why this team is better the first is the line of scrimmage the offensive line has improved under new offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes if the name Jeff Grimes sounds familiar he spent some time in the SEC as an offensive line coach he was also BYU's offensive coordinator uh, when Zach Wilson had the big year uh, in 2020 so he came to Baylor the offense improved a lot, especially at the line of scrimmage and with the run. Also, the, the quarterbacks, Gary Bohannon and Blake Shapin, have been solid this year. Bohannon was dealing with an injury late in the season. Maybe he's healthy by this game. It's not real clear uh, to me who will start here for Baylor, but that's the story on Baylor's offense. The line of scrimmage is better. They're running the ball better. They're getting more efficiency at quarterback, and their defense – Uh, under Dave Aranda has been outstanding this year. It it took a big step forward uh, from last season. So this is a much improved team and a much improved team because of what's happened on both sides of the ball, being better in the trenches. And it's a big reason why uh, they won the big 12 championship game. And and I think that's kind of the story when you study the matchup is if you want to slow down uh, Ole Miss, you got to be able to run the ball and you got to be able to keep Matt Corral off the field and you got to be able to get some pressure on him. So I, I think Baylor we'll be motivated because of everything that's gone on. A lot of key seniors uh, and Ole Miss will be too because corrals playing. So I I'm, I'm with mm-hmm. you. Like there's a lot of intrigue here from, for me in a very high level bowl game here.
2: Is there a better coaching matchup you think in all the bowl of season here? Dave Oranda's defensive mind versus Lane Kiffin and his play calling ability. That I mean, that's for that reason alone has got me excited about this one.
3: Yeah, no doubt about it. That, that would rank very high. On my list, I mean, just seeing what Matt Corral can do against this defense, and it's been a defense that's been rock solid all year. I, I know there's been a lot that happened at Oklahoma during the regular season, but if you know, you go back and watch what Baylor did to Oklahoma earlier this year, a high-powered offense, I mean, they they put the clamps uh, on Oklahoma. So, yeah, I mean, just seeing what Baylor is going to be able to come up with with Aranda and having an extra couple weeks to prepare against mac corral this should be a fun matchup
2: all right last one steven lsu versus kansas state in the texas bowl this uh definitely this one is last in my my book here lsu's got uh, an interim coach interim players all across the board what can you tell us about kansas state
3: you know i think the first thing that jumps out to me about kansas state is just rock solid they, they have been, they are rock solid on both sides of the ball. Maybe not the most explosive offense, but they're kind of like, they're almost like Iowa in the sense that they are not going to beat you know themselves. They're not going to make a bunch of mistakes. Uh, offensively, Skylar Thompson is their senior quarterback. Um, not prolific, but executes that offense well. He's, a, he's also plays a lot in terms of their running game. The key player to watch on Kansas State is Deuce Vaughn. Uh, he's a five-foot-six running back. He is so fun to watch. He's one of the nation's uh, top all-purpose running backs. He will probably give LSU's defense a lot of trouble because he's done that to everybody this year. He's just fun to watch. And and on defense uh, for Kansas State too, just giving up just around 20 points a game. All their losses this year, for the most part, have been really close. So Kansas State's solid in the trenches just kind of rock solid all around. And they have a dynamic uh, running back in Deuce Vaughn who plays well uh, with Skylar Thompson. That's kind of the heart of Kansas state's offense. Those two uh, are really the two playmakers for the Wildcats.
2: Wow. Steven, I mean, incredible insight all across college football. That's why I like to call you the encyclopedia of uh, college football (laughs) knowledge and Man, hitting on all these teams. So I highly recommend everybody give Stephen a follow at AthlonSteven on Twitter. And, of course, don't forget to check out all his work at AthlonSports.com and the Cover 2 podcast. He does an outstanding job with uh, Braden Gall on that show. So that's a must listen for me. So, Stephen, I really appreciate all your time breaking down uh, a record 13 SEC Bowl opponents here.
3: Hey, Mike, anytime. Always glad to, to come on the show. It was good to, to catch up and talk some bowl games, man. Enjoy the bowl games this season.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You too, my friend, and hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. Just want to say thanks again to Steven joining the show. He's been on the show a number of times this season. One of the best out there. Got to follow his work at uh, Athlon Steven on Twitter. And don't forget to check out the Cover 2 podcast, He's been doing for years and years and years for Athlon Sports. Does a tremendous, mm-hmm. tremendous job. I like to call him the uh, encyclopedia of college football <laughs> knowledge. He knows about uh, every team in and out. So really appreciate he's like the,
1: he's, he's like the opposite of Shane, you know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's all we're looking for, man. A little hey, a little bit of Shane, a little bit of Steven. You get everything covered here, you know what? Absolutely. This
1: is what you're here for, you know? It's just a hodgepodge of news and information. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, hey, like I said in the intro, Shay, we got us a football game to break down, and it's the Armed Forces Bowl. Missouri against, who are they playing here? Army. I, I almost said Army, Navy. Army. Come on, a second, man. man. They're, Army, Navy, I don't know the difference. Do you? But, uh, anyway, I do know that Army favored by six and a half points at the game kicks off at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central on ESPN. And the over-under is 54 and a half points. Now, Shane, now here's where things get tricky here. You know, picking these bowl games is tough enough, but yeah. you got all four of your permanent captains out for the game. Mm-hmm. Tyler Beatty, all American running back, he's out. Connor Basilak, your starting quarterback, he's out. Case Cook, mm-hmm. your best offensive lineman, he's out. Martez Manuel, your leading tackler and uh, one of your team captains there in the secondary, he's out. Now we got Brady Cook starting that quarterback for Missouri. Here's his career number, Shane, 24 of 30. Oh, he's accurate, mm. but for only 70, 175 yards, two touchdowns, and the only games he's played this year, Southeast Missouri. He played against Georgia, South Carolina, and Arkansas. So, having said all that, good luck picking the game, Shane. <laughs> Who you got in the Armed Forces Bowl, Missouri or Army?
1: Well, I tell you, Mike. Uh, the thing about Army is I, I got soft spot for these guys. All right, I went to school with a couple of buddies that went up there and played. Uh, you know, I thought that was a pretty big deal. And you know, when you got when you're from a small school and and, and some of your your pals go to these universities, you know, I mean, it, you kind of you kind of take some of these. These schools, in you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I pulled for army, uh, because of these guys. I, I'll never forget one of them, David. If you're out there listening, you know, back when I played, there was no such thing as concussions. You know, <laughs> they're, they're, you you come up dizzy, the coach just calls it, you know, uh, what, what do you call it like a ringer or something like that? Or, you know, you just got popped in your ear hole, well, that's it, you'll be fine, dust off, you know, and for three, two or three plays, you like, you have no idea what world you're in. Well, I'll never forget the first concussion I got was from this guy that played at Army, man. just I was coming through, we were in practice, and all of a sudden, the snap goes, the running back's sitting there. I'm like, this is too perfect, you know? Like, nobody blocked me in about that time. Pulling guard, here he is. Knocked the shit out of me. <laughs> I'm laying on the, I'm laying on the grass. The coach is yelling at me, telling me to get back in the huddle. Uh, but I'll I'll never forget uh, the, the the day he let me out. But uh, but hey, kudos to those guys. I, lo- I love Army, I love Navy, I love Air Force, love all these guys. Uh, appreciate everything they do for our country and. And uh, so Army is not a pushover, Mike. There's a reason they're in a bowl game. There's a reason Tennessee dodged them at the start of the season. (laughs) You know, you don't want to play a team like Army, and uh, especially because you think about what are they good at, Mike? When you think of Army – what do you think of? I think of running the ball. I don't know about you, but you mm-hmm. should because they're very damn efficient at it. And then here on the flip side of the coin, you got Mizzou. Now, they, I will grant it, say that later in the season, the defense has tightened up a little bit, especially against the running game. But when you're playing a team that that's all they do, it is so tough to defend. Now, there is an added benefit. They had a weak advantage. They got a week to watch Army play against Navy. They they got some more time to get film in. So, you know, maybe maybe this defense is going to be right, but you know, the thing that I hate, Mike, is the thing you led off with. Who's not here? The guys that got us to this bowl game. You know what I'm saying? You got mm-hmm. a you got a, a a tackle that's going to be a first rounder. You got the Beatty, which is the heart and soul of this offense. I don't think Baselak is 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 going to kill you, uh, but it is a good picture a good preview of next season when you look at this game i think if you're a mizzou fan you're you're tuning in not for the results i think you're tuning in to see what your team's going to look like in the future so and i'm pretty excited i i'm telling you that i'm watching this recruiting class come together i think the future's bright for mizzou the problem is mike it's not bright for this bowl game i tried many many ways to, to, to fabricate, to get on here, to be the power of positive thinking and tell you that the Mizzou Tigers are going to come away victorious here. But I just don't see it. And I don't see it mainly because of their opponent. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't know how many Ar- Army opt-outs there were, but I guarantee there wasn't too many of them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're, you're going to get the full force of these guys when they come down here, and they're going to want to get nine victories. So I think it's a close game. I think it's a low-scoring game. I think they're going to do everything they can to keep Missouri's offense off the field. Uh, But I'm just going to have to give Army the victory with the last possession here and the spread. I think the spread's six and a half here, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so give me Army and the over, 27, Mizzou, 20.
2: Why do you hate Mizzou, Shane? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's that concussion, ma'am. You know, I don't think right sometimes.
2: <laughs> no, I heard your brother say, Shane, I mean, you know, Missouri's got the opt-outs we mentioned. At the Army, they ain't got no opt-outs because mm-hmm. you opt-out, you're getting shipped overseas. So, <laughs> yeah. hey, maybe that's he, well said there by uh, the flying Hawaiian. And, you know, that's kind of what this game, I think, is going to come down to. Who wants to be there more? And with none of the captains playing, some of them due to injury, but others due to opt-out. It's like you said. It's gonna to be tough to see a path for Missouri to win this football game. It's gonna to be tough to see Missouri score points, because yeah. with that triple option attack, Army eats up the clock. And you know how many possessions is Missouri realistically gonna get in this football game? And mm-hmm. yeah, we know, like you said, the run defense has improved. But you know, you gotta only two, three weeks to prepare for this attack. I just don't know if that's you're gonna make the strides necessary to be able to slow him down. So I'm kind of right there with you. Now, I hope I'm wrong. Maybe Brady Cook, who fans have been calling for for much of the season, maybe he gets in there. Maybe he shines. Mm -hmm. Maybe even if he struggles, maybe we get Tyler Macon in there and and he shines. So, you know, there's potential for maybe the offense was kind of getting held back by Connor Bazelak. We know he's been banged up. So I'm not putting it all on him, but maybe a little bit more on the injuries. But, How can you go with Missouri when you've had Coach Drinkwitz here say, you know, this guy's the heart and soul of this team. How many wins, Mm -hmm. you know, what's his value? His value is every damn win we've had on the board. And if Tyler Beatty ain't playing, it's hard, hard for me to see Missouri pulling ahead and winning the Armed Forces Bowl. So I'm right there with you. I actually even have it a little bit more lopsided than you, Shane, because I think it's going to be difficult Missouri to put up points on the board. I got Army twenty-four, Missouri thirteen.
1: Now, Mike, I, I said all that, and I'm going. I'm going a little positive spin here. Mm-hmm. I will say there's going to be something nice about having that youth out there because I think, I think there's no expectations here. I, I think there's no consequences of losing. The fact you made a bowl game, you, you know, you're getting an extension at some point. You keep doing that at Mizzou, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But I, I think. Eli's going to be coming in here with a clean slate, man. Just let's let's grip and rip, man. Let's have some fun. Let's let these young kids play a little bit. Uh, I I think one of the big ones is the fact Beatty's out, and I know that sounds crazy, but. You know, sometimes Mizzou reminded me of Kentucky a few years back when they just wanted to get Benny Snail as many touches as possible, you know. Right. It gets – you know, I think sometimes they get in their way when you have just one player being so dominant. You want to force feed them the ball and then you kind of, you know, bleed your offense through that. Now they don't have to do that. They can really cut loose. They could really have some fun here. And I think if you're, if you're looking spin zone here – the fact that Mizzou's going to come out with an offense that they've never seen ever. I mean, when's the last time you've not seen Beatty in the, in uniform, you know what I'm saying? So who knows? Maybe we're looking at the end of this thing and saying, damn, I, what was I thinking having Mizzou lose the army, but, Right now, it, it is tough because of the, the opt-out situation. Your captains, of all people, not going to be there. And I don't blame them. You know, I mean, these we're, we're talking millions of dollars on the line here for a potential injury. But you'd still love to see them at, at full crew because I think if that was the case, we'd have a victory. But – <sighs> Who knows, man? You may come away here with quarterback controversy. I mean, there's a lot of good things that could come from here. I mean, the, the, this is the Hoover storyline is going to be created, man. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, and one aspect of this game, not to overlook Shane, Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator, you know, in his first year there in Columbia, came from the NFL. It certainly looked like it was a struggle to adjust to the college game, but mm-hmm. you know he made that adjustment late in the season, maybe with a couple of weeks of – further evaluation a couple of weeks of understanding what his players can and cannot do you know mm-hmm. maybe that defense takes a huge that th- this is the great unknown of both seasons Shane you just don't know who is going to step up with these added practices you don't know right. uh, you know it could be the defense from Missouri which we mm-hmm. thought was going to be a strength of that team they they weren't for much of the season maybe they make those strides this year and because of, across the board, missouri is going to have a talent advantage over army and and maybe that uh wins the day here in the armed forces bowl
1: absolutely man it's an audition for some of these kids some of these kids that didn't get the opportunities throughout the season maybe they're better at game time under the lights than they are in practice so who knows we may have a couple studs pop here in a minute and you would be like okay they're gonna be all right
2: (laughs) well hey buddy this uh podcast with the interviews went a little bit long so i'm gonna cut it right here but uh hey it It's just great to hear your voice. You know (laughs) what? I know the the listeners appreciate it more than anybody. So I just want to say thanks again for joining the show, breaking down the start of SEC Bowl games. We got, man, we got one more uh, on Thursday, and then we're going to have several next week. So, uh, man, it's great to be picking bowl games here again, isn't it?
1: absolutely man a lot of people reached out a lot of people worried saying that i i haven't packed my bags here you know i just (laughs) i took a little break here around the holidays it's just really crazy at work uh but it, 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 it it turns into a ghost town after after january 1st so i'll be more involved uh, after the after the bowl games. But I appreciate you getting on here with me, Mike. I love talking gambling. Uh, put all your money on Army. Uh, that means Mizzou's <laughs> probably going to walk away the winner. So <laughs> that's my lock. <laughs>
2: all right, we'll catch you on the next one. Appreciate everybody for hanging out. Uh, I just said the same thing. We'll catch you on the next one.
1: All right, see you guys. Go Balls.